join us for the month of August on A Vision for You Sunday Special Edition. On Sunday, August 4th, 8.30 a.m. Eastern, Step 3 panel with a question and answer period to follow. Sunday, August 11th, 8.30 a.m. Eastern, Steps 1, 2, 3, also followed by question and answered. Our guest speaker, a recovered compulsive overeater from Crestwood, Illinois. Sunday, August 18th, 8.30 a.m. Eastern, Story of Transformation. And then rounding out the month, Sunday, August 25th, 8.30 a.m. Eastern, a Step 1 panel, the focus on Alcoholics Anonymous, 12 Steps, and 12 Traditions. Don't miss it. Thank you, Melanie. Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Monica, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And today is Friday, the 2nd of August, 2013. And today we are reading from the big book. We are in the chapter, We Agnostics, and we are going to be starting on page 55, the last paragraph that starts in this book. And today's readers are the 12 Steps, Marge, 12 Traditions, Lisa, and then Sharon, Katie, and Melanie. The share code for yesterday, August 1st, Thursday, August 1st, is 4883, 4883. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At A Vision for You Big Book, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. And I will now ask Marge to please read the 12 steps. Good morning. This is Marge, Compulsive Overeater, the 12 Steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when 
do so would injure them or others. 10. Continue to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of the steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you and pass. Thank you, Marge. And now I will ask Lisa to please read the 12 traditions. Good morning, Monica. Good morning, everyone. My name is Lisa N. from South Jersey. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop compulsive overeating. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige Divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, and films. And twelve, Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Lisa. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share but we ask that you keep your commenting to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinent requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinent requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, 
let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we are resuming our study of the big book. We are in the chapter, We Agnostics. We are on page 55, and we are going to begin reading with the paragraph in this book, which is the last paragraph on the page. In this book you will read. And I'm going to ask Sharon to begin reading. And Sharon, would you read three paragraphs, please? Absolutely. Good morning, Monica. Good morning to all. This is Sharon, a recovered compulsive overeater. Very glad to be with you on the call this morning. In this book, you will read the experience of a man who thought he was an atheist. His story is so interesting that some of it should be told now. His change of heart was dramatic, convincing, and moving. Our friend was a minister's son. He attended church school where he became rebellious at what he thought an overdose of religious education. For years thereafter, he was dogged by trouble and frustration, business failure, insanity, fatal illness, suicide. These calamities in his immediate family embittered and depressed him. Post-war disillusionment, ever more serious alcoholism, impending mental and physical collapse, brought him to the point of self-destruction. One night, when confined in a hospital, he was approached by an alcoholic who had known a spiritual experience. Our friend's gorge rose as he bitterly cried out, If there is a God, he certainly hasn't done anything for me. But later, alone in his room, he asked himself this question, Is it possible that all the religious people I have known are wrong? While pondering the answer, he felt as though he lived in hell. Then, like a thunderbolt, a great thought came to him. It crowded out all else. Should I read that next one? I guess that's a fourth paragraph. Yeah, go ahead. Who are you to say there is no God? So here we here's four paragraphs. And it starts off with Bill introducing to us what he's going to be telling us. And he's letting us know right off the bat that he wants us to identify in, to really feel what's going on. This isn't an academic discussion. This isn't something that he's asking us to think about. He really wants us to feel this because he he tells us right off the bat that this man's his change of heart was dramatic, convincing, and moving, and he wants us to be moved by this writing. He really is is really going to paint a picture here for us, and he he paints that picture, and it's very it is very dramatic, uh, and he. He shows us 
the progression that here you have a a person who makes a decision early in his life. He doesn't like what he's been given. He doesn't like the rules and regulations, the religious uh, faith that he's been handed. And that may be all well and good. You can disagree. But this guy, instead of just not liking the religious experience he's been, uh, education he's been given, he gets resentful toward it. He gets bitter. He gets angry. And then he he looks at life. He doesn't he doesn't want to accept life on life's terms. I certainly was in that situation where I I didn't like what I what was going on in the world. It wasn't just what was going on with me personally. I didn't like how life was set up. That pe- that there was all this suffering. That there was all this pain. That there was all this confusion. I thought that there was a better way, that life should should really be different. And uh, it set up a lot of confusion for me, a lot of disillusionment, a lot of anger. I, I grew up during the Vietnam War, and I the world just seemed like, you know, cities were burning, and there was a lot of protest and anger and, and hostility toward the the powers that be, and it just, it caused me to just really close in, and Bill is asking us to identify ourselves in these pages, and by identifying ourselves, the hope is that we will open ourselves up and accept that maybe, maybe the world was wrong, but maybe we were wrong in our response to the world. Maybe there is a different way, Cause, because yeah, their way certainly didn't work. But was my way any better? Because here this fella is, if you will. Look what's happening to him. He's in his belief system led him right into a hospital, led him right into despair. And so finally, this guy really starts opening his eyes up which is what Bill is asking, or hoping that will happen to us as well. He starts opening his eyes up and saying that, who are you to say? Who, is, who am I? Maybe my way is not right. And this is where I am I'm so grateful that through these pages and through this program, I slowly came to the realization that, Sharon, your way is is killing you. If you were to give your way to the world, it would, it would be destroyed just the way it's going. It would go downhill just the way it is now. So let me, let me set my way aside and accept that there, maybe I am wrong. Maybe I was wrong. Just maybe, and maybe there is a better way. And let me listen. Let me open my heart. Let me take down those walls that I've wrapped around myself and let another way, a possibility of another way, come into me. 
And quite frankly, I saw that way working for other people. And when I saw it work for other people, I thought, well, let me try that. And indeed, it worked for me, and it's still working. And I'm still being open because I may be wrong. I may be wrong. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Sharon. Would anyone like to comment on these paragraphs? Star one to unmute. This is who? Sarah. Sarah. Go ahead, Sarah. Thank you so much. Good morning. My name is Sarah. I am a compulsive overeater from New York. And there's so many things that I would share on these paragraphs. I have so many notes around them because I identify so much with um, with this man's story. But there's one point that I just really um, hits home for me so strongly, <clears throat> where he's where he um, is in this hospital and he and he cries out, "If there is a God." He certainly hasn't done anything for me. And the question that I have to always ask myself is, is God in this here in this world to serve me, or am I here in this world to serve God? And that is really, for me, the question of um, disease versus recovery. My illness is everybody, God and everybody else on this planet is here to serve me. And my recovery is when I recognize that I'm here in this world to serve God and to be of service and to do his will, not mine. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Sarah. Would anyone else like to comment on what was read? This is Leah. Go ahead, Leah. Thank you. Thank you so much. Good morning, everybody. My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Our friend was a minister's son. He attended church school where he became rebellious at what he thought an overdose of religious education. Um, You know, some of us make these decisions based on ideas that we have regarding, uh, you know, God and outlook on life, you know, when we're 10 years old, (laughs) when we're 8 years old. And, um, you know, we live out those decisions. But is that way of looking at life and are those decisions working for you? So he attended church school where he became rebellious of what he thought was an overdose of religious education. Again, we're in Chapter 4, We Agnostics, what does we agnostics mean? We agnostics means we without knowledge. You know, it 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 uh, identifies him as a very serious alcoholic. Uh, you know, we who have these addictions, these illnesses, we have a spiritual malady. We have a spiritual illness, a gangrene of the spirit, so to speak. We have a spiritual misunderstanding. He had a spiritual misunderstanding, just like uh, we're underdeveloped in other areas of 
our lives. Somebody might be physically underdeveloped, somebody might be mentally undeveloped, somebody might be emotionally undeveloped, spiritually undeveloped, making decisions perhaps um, based on, we, we saw that in Bill's story, you know, based on the hypocr- hypocrisies that he viewed around him as a child and based on his grandfather's opinions and viewpoints on religion. And so we make these decisions because they color and shape us uh, throughout our development, and we hold on to those. So he became a, rebellious at what he thought an overdose of religious education. And again, all action is born in thought. What thoughts are directing my life today? Because whatever I direct, direct my life towards, that's what's going to run my life. If I'm going to direct my life towards skepticism and prejudices and basing my views on perhaps other people's opinions, then that's what's going to run my life. Because my life is based on the ideas I produce in my mind. So it says for years thereafter, he was dogged, dogged meaning uh, followed, trailed, shadowed, held by trouble, frustration, business failure, insanity, fatal illness, suicide. These calamities in his immediate family embittered and depressed him, uh, disillusioned him. Of course, he's a serious alcoholic. He has impending mental and physical collapse. These are the results of disease. These are the principles of disease. The principles of disease, embitteredness, depression, resentment, rebelliousness, defiance, those are the principles of disease. Those are the principles of disease. That's what governs our mind. That's what directs our mind. So the whole point of the step process, we're not there yet, obviously, but the whole step of the point of the steps process, steps four through nine specifically, is to bring down these barriers, to tear down these barriers of resentment, rebelliousness, defiance of that of that delusion that we're a victim of this world and that we can wrest satisfaction if only we manage this world well according to our wishes, needs, and specifications. That's why we need a new mind. That's the whole point of this program is to give us a spirit-guided mind, and we get that through the process of the 12 steps. We get that through the process of the 12 steps because the underlying cause of alcoholism is selfishness, self-pity, resentment. So it's a self-imposed crisis. Remember, we were reading about self-imposed crisis, a self-imposed crisis because of the alienation from God, from a higher power. So the, uh, the, um, the bottle, in this case for this alcoholic, the bottle emerges as both a symbol and a symptom of his separation from, from a power greater than himself. It's the same thing for me. Those bakery boxes and bags and, and the obesity emerged as a symptom and a symbol of my separation from a power greater than myself. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Would anyone else like to comment on these three paragraphs? Rose. This is Janice. This is Katie. I heard Rose, Janice, and Katie. Go ahead, Rose. Thank you, Monica. This is Rose, Recovered Compulsive Overeater in New York. And um, the first paragraph is where um, I, I definitely identify in. In this book, you will read the experience of a man who thought he was an atheist. 
And um, like it's being said constantly with this book, every word used here has a uh, meaning to it that's um, really stating something that one needs to pause on. And uh, when I was reading this today, I realized that's exactly, I definitely thought I was an atheist. I mean, I thought it so deeply, I believed I was an atheist. And then coming up to the um, last paragraph, again, um, the last sentence, it says, Then, like a thunderbolt, a great thought came, using the word thought again, and this time it crowded out all else. And um, what I've been taught from this line here, that all action is born in thought, well, this this uh, second thought here for Bill Wilson is it was the thought that um, was born for him, in which um, then the, his spiritual experience. Who are you to say there is no God? And that was the thought that came from God to him to open up and give him the light and the truth for him to see and that last sentence who are you to say there is no God that was the power um, that came to me with this step that with all of what I thought I was and all of my background where did I get off (laughs) saying there is no God and that was the very beginning of opening up a mind of mine that was snapped shut against all of the, I mean, I I was definitely agnostic and ignorant of spirituality. I was was handicapped and I was um, very ignorant of spirituality, but this also was the beginning for me to realize, uh, did I create myself? And the answer was no. And from there, like it's been said, the that was the very beginning that opened up the way for the rest of these steps and for this program to come in that was very real. Thank you, I pass. Thank you, Rose. Janice, go ahead. Good morning, Monica. Can you hear me okay? Yes, I can. Oh, okay, thank you. Thank you, Monica. Good morning, Vision for You. My name is Janice. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Well, you know, here we are in ending up this chapter of We Agnostics, and, and what what do these 100 recovered alcoholics put at the end of this chapter for us to for us to read? The story of this man, the story of this man, and Bill introduces it by saying, in this book, you will read the experience of a man who thought he was an atheist. His story is so interesting that some of it should be told now, his change of heart was dramatic, convincing, and moving. It's his change of heart, this man. And, and what was this man's life experience that Bill is describing? What was his life experience? Ever more serious alcoholism, impending mental and physical collapse, it had brought him to the point of self-destruction. And where is he when we meet him? He's confined in the hospital. Not just in the hospital, he's confined. He is so at the point 
of desperation that he's confined to the hospital. And it may not be his first time. It may not be his first time. So in all of that life experience that he'd had, and now confined to a hospital, these are his thoughts. These are his thoughts. You know, if there is a God, he sure hasn't done much for me. Look at where I am. Look at what my life experience has been. And and in describing this man's state of mind, I can identify. I can identify. Because like this man, I had to be in that same place. The disease had readied me. The disease had gotten me to a state where I was ready to hear this solution. And probably not one moment before. Probably not one moment before. So that when this man was approached, when this man was approached by someone in whom the problem had been solved, he was able to start entertaining a different way of thinking. You know, this man was like me. He'd lost his mind. He'd lost his mind. The insanity of the disease had him prisoner, had him captive, had him cornered. And that's what had to happen to me. You know, later alone in the room, he asked himself this question. This question that had not had room in his brain before. You know, could it be that all these other people who have found this way, this peace of mind, this spiritual solution, could it be that all of them are wrong and I'm the only one who's right? You know, that thought came to him finally, finally. And he was able to say, who am I to say there is no God? Who am I to say there is no God? And maybe your spiritual experience had been like mine, pretty much nil up to this point, unable to entertain the idea that there might be a power greater than me. But when you get to that point, if you're anything like me, where you are desperate, where you feel doomed, and there's a part of you that wants to be done, that wants to be done. And maybe you think it's only your life that should be done. I got to that point. Suicidal thoughts began to occur to me where I thought I just want to be done. And it wasn't until I got to that point that my mind could be cracked open and these new ideas could come in. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Jane. Did you call on Katie? Yes, Katie, go ahead. Okay, thank you. Good morning. This is Katie, a recovered compulsive overeater, and I can identify so much um, to these paragraphs because I wanted to blame. I wanted to blame God, and I, you know, I was at a point after being brought up in, you know, a religious home uh, when I was in my late teens and early twenties, where it's like, now how'd that go again? What What was I supposed to be doing? And you know, I just went off on my own way, and my own way got me, you know, to suicidal thinking and um, wanting to drive off the road and unable to stop eating. And, you know, even in these rooms, I 
thought that I had surrendered a thousand times and, you know, just thought that God didn't care about me. And, you know, but this, these lines, is it possible that all the religious people I have known are wrong? Um, you know, I, I got to that point where it's like, okay, maybe I don't believe that there is a God who really wants to help me with my food, but, um, but who am I to say there is no God? And, you know, it wasn't, um, it wasn't this big debate anymore. That's what stopped for me is the debate. And I was willing to do whatever I needed to do. And I stopped questioning whether God was doing something for me. I was more interested in being who God wanted me to be. I had to turn the glass around to be where I wasn't, no one was going to do anything for me. I had to be willing to take action. And it's such a a paradox because, you know, I I do a lot of work. I mean, I do, you know, I'm standing here on this line this morning um, trying to offer service. I, you know, plan my food. I read and I write and I make phone calls and I return calls and I, Uh, do all these things, and that sounds like I'm doing a lot of work. But I'm doing it as an act of um, gratitude that I have been given a life back. You know, when I was standing around waiting for things to be given to me and for God to just do it for me without any effort on my part and without any surrender and on my terms, nothing happened. But, you know, as we're seeing, this man is being completely humbled and realizing that God, in fact, is right there with him. And God was right there with me and is right there with me every day as I seek him. And, you know, we can make this so complicated. And it really, you know, as people say, it's not, um, it's simple, but it's not easy. And, you know, it's, uh, it works when you work it, and it works when I get out of my own way with that pass. Thank you, Katie. Thank you, Katie. I'm sorry. I was unmuting. This is Sally Madger. Sally, go ahead. Thank you, Monica. Sally from South Jersey, recovering uh, compulsive overeater. Um, well, to begin with, I just wanted to mention that for those who might want to read this man's full story, as it's indicated that um, they pulled the story from the back um, because it was such a valuable story, I did some research and did find out that it's on page 208 in the big book. It's called Our Southern Friend, if you want to read his entire story. Um, but um, beyond that, what I wanted to share was um, the use of his word calamities. I think that for me, this is what really strikes home. Um, He says here on the top of 56, our friend was a minister's son. He attended church school where he became rebellious at what he thought was an overdose of religious education. For years thereafter, he was dogged by trouble 
and frustration, business failure, insanity, fatal illness, suicide, these calamities and his immediate family embittered and depressed him. And for me, that was, uh, I really was a little shocked when the story comes at the very end because I really thought, gee, we've gone at this angle at so many, at so many uh, directions. We've looked at, you know, the agnostic, the atheist, the skeptic. And here we are, now we're bringing up this. Um, and amazingly, it, it actually brought tears to my eyes because it really is my story, the calamities of my immediate family embittered and depressed me. And this, and uh, just to um, belabor the issue one more time, at the uh, at Bill's story, he also uses a very similar term, um, starting with the very bottom of 12. Um, he says, but soon the sense of its presence had been blotted out by worldly clamors. And that's all I really want to say about that. But when we come back to page 55, again, in the, in the second paragraph, the word calamity is used. It says, actually, we were fooling ourselves, for deep down in every man, woman, and child is the fundamental idea of God. It may be obscured by calamity, by pomp, by worship, by other things. And so here we are again at 56 with that word calamity. Calamity in his immediate family embittered and depressed him. And when, you know, this young man has this guy come to him with a spiritual experience and our, his reaction is his gorge rose as he bitterly cries out, whether it's to that man or whether it's to God himself, if there's a God, he certainly hasn't done anything for me. And I think that there's a lot of people who probably can identify with me here with the idea of the calamities that crowded out whatever faith they had carried in their heart for years for God and perhaps like me got to a place where he just said, I'm done with you, God. I'm mad at you, period. I am just mad at you. I just don't like your style. I don't, I think you dropped the ball too many times on my prayers. And I just, um, I really am just so disappointed in you. And um, when I look at that word calamities, for me, it, it does, um, it brings a lot of pain to the front for me. Um, I had a little sister who died in a fire when I was eight years old. She was five. I had a brother who died of hemophilia, and um, because of his medicine that had the AIDS virus planted in uh, the medicine, the clotting factor that he took when he was only 42 and I was in my young 30s. And I had my mom die when I was very young, and um, she was only 56. These are calamities of the immediate family type, and I was very embittered, and I truly believe that for 10 years I wandered in the desert of OA, not because of OA's lack of ability to reach me, but because I had this hardness in my heart toward the solution of the problem that I had, my solution was God, and I didn't want to talk to him. I didn't want to turn to him. And so I very much relate to the calamities that are, are spoken of here and, and there and other places in this book, and, and this is my story right here. Thanks for letting me share. With that, I pass. Thank you, Sally. Let's move on to... Um our next couple of paragraphs. And Katie G., will you please read the next couple of paragraphs? I will. Okay. Um, this is Katie G. from Boston. This man recounts that he tumbled out of bed to his knees. In a few seconds, he was overwhelmed by a conviction of the presence of God it poured over and through him with the certainty and majesty of a great tide at flood. 
The barriers he had built through the years were swept away. He stood in the presence of infinite power and love. He had stepped from bridge to shore. For the first time, he lived in conscious companionship with his creator. Thus was our friend's cornerstone fixed into place. No later vicissitude had shaken it. Has shaken it. His alcoholic problem was taken away. That very night, years ago, it disappeared. Save for a few brief moments of temptation, the thought of drink has never returned. And at such times, a great revulsion has risen up in him. Seemingly, he could not drink even if he would. God has restored his sanity. Would you like me to continue or shall I stop there? Um, Just stop there, please. Okay. Good morning. My name is Katie D. I am a recovered compulsive overeater from Boston, Massachusetts, and what a privilege to be uh, abstinent and awake and alive with the presence of God this morning. Um, What a great, great paragraph, a couple paragraphs. What really um, comes into mind here is, um, you know, his arrogance, as as our uh, previous speakers have talked about, the resentment that comes up and I can relate to that. It's like, you know, wait a second, my life doesn't look the way I want it to. Um, and then to be com- overwhelmed, which means to be defeated completely by a power, by a conviction of the presence of God. And you'll notice in this paragraph, so what do we have? He's coming into the presence of God, right? P, capital P, capital G, capital P, I, P, L, as in presence, infinite power and love and conscious companionship with his creator. The other thing I note is that presence and conscious, that's both about being awake in the moment and responding to surroundings. And so he's seeing past his resentment, right? So this is his process. And, you know, the um, barriers that somebody had previously spoken about, the obstacles that are preventing movement or access, the barriers that I had coming into Overeaters Anonymous, First of all, the barriers of not wanting to be in a group, I'm sorry, but it called Overeaters Anonymous. I mean, that was the unsexiest, uncoolest name of a program that I could ever join, right? Like, I wanted to be in sexy Overeaters Anonymous. I don't know what my arrogance was. You know, and then the other barriers, the more serious ones that really kept me stuck in this rut of I am a victim and nobody's taking care of me and who is taking care of me? And what I find so interesting is once those barriers, once he has this conscious contact with God, he steps over the bridge to shore. And what are we referencing? This bridge, which on page 53, um, this bridge of reason where my, my sponsor described to me at the time, Katie, it's like you're standing there on a bridge and your pants are on fire and you're wondering, what am I going to do? And it's true, I was standing there wondering, what am I going to do? I don't know what to do. And the water's right there, and I can jump in, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure God is for me, too. Like, I don't know. My, My life isn't looking the way I want it to. But what I found when I came, when I came to see the exact nature of my wrongs, which I saw, you know, I had a spiritual awakening similar to this man, but I could not have it until I was willing to see things from an entirely different angle, you know, until I was willing to see, okay, you know what, all of these people, they weren't wrong, (laughs) you know, and God actually has been taking care of me this whole time, you know, and then I can stand too in the presence of infinite power and love in conscious companionship, friendship, brothership, fellowship with my, with my creator, you know, and, and when do we use creator? Well, we, we use it in the, in the seventh step, 
um, and that no later vicissitude, no later change of circumstance, nothing in my life can, can, can take away this cornerstone except for me, right, except until, unless I get back there and am and running the show. You know, in this, this next paragraph talks about the sense of disgust, this great revulsion that will come in me with the food once I've had a spiritual awakening as the result of, of the steps, that the revulsion will, will move from this lower position in my body to a higher position in my body, that God will restore me to a from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. And that is what has happened to me as the result of working the steps, that God can heal all things. Um, and that is the miracle of these steps. And I'm just so grateful to realize that if you're sitting there and you haven't had this experience, that you're not knowing where there is a God and if there's a God for you, there is a program. There are steps that we can follow to get in conscious contact with God, and they are these steps. There are directions that we're about to follow to get rid of self. And let me tell you, I am... I am uh, recovered from a hopeless state of mind and body, but I am not cured. And I must live in 10 and 11, 12 actively on a daily basis, you know, the walking around steps in 10 and my, my 11th step at night to stay in touch with God because I will lose that touch as soon as I, as, in, as soon as I get back into the manifestations of self. So I'm grateful to be, there, be here this morning and without I pass. Thank you, Katie. Would anyone else like to comment on these two paragraphs? This Hi, Chrissy. 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 I. Leia. Ms. Chaya. Oh, uh, I've totally. Okay, Leia. And I heard someone before Sheila. Leia. Christy. Sheila and Christy. Okay, let's do Leia, Sheila, and Christy. Go ahead, Leia. Okay, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Um, this man recounts that he tumbled out of bed to his knees. Again, this was his experience. This is, uh, you know, in the past tense. Um, you know, the barriers he had built through the years were swept away. Obviously, this man, uh, you know, pain is the greatest motivator to effectuate change. This man had a spiritual experience. It was something very sudden. Uh, that is the whole goal of this program of recovery, uh, a spiritual experience or a spiritual awakening, one very sudden like this man's experience or a more gradual process uh, like a dimmer switch slowly going, increasing notch by notch, uh, spiritual awakening. But either way, it's meant to create a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery, a transformation. And that's exactly what happened. This man was transformed. Look, he says he stood in the presence of infinite power and love. He stepped from bridge to shore. This is a personality change, a change in his vision. This self-centeredness that we read about at the top of the page had, had contributed to his failure, had contributed to, um, you know, his misery, his embitteredness, his his. And his whole universe centered around him and what his expectations of life had been. He was his own God. Therefore, he really had no God. So he had a miserable life because the only world he saw was the world he saw through his own limited lenses. That self-centeredness was a poison to his system. And, of course, it was very frustrating and very uncomfortable. 
Um, and of course, it creates a chain reaction of resentment and fear and anger. But what happens when the barriers are broken down? It says the barriers he had built through the years were swept away. What happens when the barriers break down? When the barriers break down, then we can stand in the presence of power and love. That's the whole point of the steps. The whole point of the steps is to bring down those barriers, to remove the veils of resentment and defiance and bitterness and sadness and disappointment that life did not go my way. Now, this experience obviously was quick, but in either case, God comes in through the wound. How free do you want to be? How much pain are, are you willing to tolerate? You know, this is self-imposed. This is self-imposed crisis on the top page and also a decision to do differently on the bottom. God does not exist in our life in a personal way unless we decide or be willing to decide to believe he exists or decide to live life as if he believes he exists. This man forced a decision on himself. Man reaches highest when he's at his lowest. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Sheila, go ahead. Star one to unmute, Sheila. Christy, are you there? Go ahead, Christy. Hi, good morning, Monica. Good morning, everyone. This is Christy, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Um, I mean, it, it doesn't get any more powerful than this. It does not get any more powerful than this. His alcoholic problem was taken away, taken away. Seemingly, he could not drink even if he would. Uh, it, it, you know, a great revulsion has risen up in him even to think about drinking, even to think about drinking, and that has happened for me. That has happened. I have experienced that miracle. I have experienced that miracle. And I know for me, you know, the choice was mine. The choice was mine. I certainly didn't have a choice when it came to compulsively overeating. I mean, that disease had me by the throat. It had me by the throat. And I, you know, as much as I said, I don't want to eat compulsively, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to overeat. I'll just have one. That's all I'm going to have. I'm only going to have one. In fact, I'm only going to buy one. I'm only going to buy one and I'll eat it and after that I'll be done. And what do you know? There I'd be in my car buying another one because I couldn't not eat. I couldn't not eat. And so for me, I mean, it is just, you know, I, I just, I could say it over and over and over again. What has happened for me, the, ch the complete change of mind and attitude and heart and soul, that complete change has happened for me. It has happened for me. And, you know, I mean, it, it, all I had to have was a desire to stop eating compulsively. That, that's all I needed. I just, I just had a desire to stop eating compulsively. And I got to the point where I made that decision. I am done. I don't care if I have to give up my food. That's what I said. I don't care if I have to give up my food. Those are the most powerful words I had ever said in my life. Because from that moment, from that moment, I was done. I was done. I just needed someone to guide me. 
I needed someone to help me. I needed someone in whom the problem had been solved. That's what I needed. But they couldn't tell me, you know, you really should stop. You really should have that desire to stop. I had to get to that on my own. And, you know, it truly, it truly, I mean, it came down to this. You know, am I going to stand in the presence of infinite power and love? I mean, who wouldn't want that? You know, the choice was, do I want to stand in the presence of infinite power and love, or do I want to stand in front of a cashier and tell them I'd like to supersize my fries? That's what it came down to. What did I want? What did I really want? What did I really want? And I didn't believe people. I did not believe people when they told me that the compulsion, the alcoholic problem, the food problem would be taken away. But I, I believed when they said that it had happened for them. I could see it in their eyes, and I could hear it in their voice. I could hear it in their voice. And I wanted that. I wanted that. I, I jumped in on blind faith that if it could happen for them, it could happen for me. And I am grateful, so grateful that I had that desire to stop. And I didn't care if I had to give up the food. And with that, I'll pass. Hi, Thank I'm you, Sheila. I'm back. I'm Sheila. I'm back. I apologize. Go ahead, Sheila. Thank you. Going through a tunnel. Sheila H., Compulsive Overeater from New York. This paragraph, really, I just had to share and check in on this. In a few seconds, he was overwhelmed by a conviction of the presence of God. It poured over him, through him, with the certainty and majestic of a great tidal flood. The barriers he had built through the years were swept away. He stood in the presence of an infinite power of love. And for me, that barrier was a wall of shame and guilt. For years, a wall of shame and guilt. I wanted the past to be anything other than it was. And then for many years, I blamed the power greater than myself for it. But yet, because of my, my religious bring, upbringing, I dared not blame God, but secretly I blamed God. Since then, a uh, recovered pointer, I call them. I don't use the S word so much these days. A recovered pointer directed me to write letters to God and to write down. There were times when I was so angry, so angry about the cards that were dealt. And yet I hear stories and, and other people's stories, and they've gone through much, much more than I had ever imagined. And yet I'm here to tell my story. So where I thought God wasn't with me, he was with me. Because if not, I would not be here to tell my story. There are times when the presence of God is so profound. I felt them before, but I have to say, the more I continue to bathe myself, and I do mean bathe my face in this big book every single day and stay in prayer, his presence is like, Every day, it's like I don't have to call him. I could just feel him. And it's a feeling of warmth. If you've ever felt it, if you've ever tapped into it, no one could ever tell you that you're not feeling it. Because it's, you can just reach out. I can just close my eyes and feel God's presence. It brings tears to my eyes when I reach out and know. I think I've always known that God was there, but it seemed like I was saving him for big things, you know. When my mother had kidney cancer and my grandmother was losing her legs from diabetes and my husband had a heart attack. I saved God for those things. I wasn't calling on him to help me with food. I should have been able to manage that. That was a small thing to me. And you call on God when you have large things that you want him. And by God's grace, you know, he answered. He answered all those prayers. Um, but today I call him for everything, each and everything. And the presence that I walk with every day, there are no words for it. 
Um, I just recently had a 90th birthday celebration for my family, so I've seen some people who haven't seen me in maybe over a year or two years, and they kept saying, what happened to you? You look different. You change, and I just smile because I know what the change is, the changes that I wear and walk with my higher power each and every day. And I thank this program and this group for helping me get in contact with that conscious power beyond myself. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Sheila. And let's go ahead and finish. We're going to take a few minutes longer here this morning, and let's go ahead and finish this chapter. And Melanie, would you finish the uh, the next few paragraphs, please? Hi, thank you. Good morning. My name is Melanie. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater here in Oregon. What is this but a miracle of healing? Yet its elements are simple. Circumstances made him willing to believe. He humbly offered himself to his maker. Then he knew. Even so has God restored us all to our right mind. To this man, the revelation was sudden. Some of us grow into it more slowly. But he has come to all who have honestly sought him. When we drew near to him, he disclosed himself to us. What a beautiful way to end this up. Starting out with so much confusion and chaos and ending in such a a revelation miracle. And I love reading these words. Yet its elements are simple. Circumstances brought Melanie to her knees. Then and only then, hopefully it was humbly, continued on a daily basis to offer myself to a power greater than myself, to continue to right the errors and the calamity that was described with this minister's young son throughout his life. Then I knew, and in this moment, I want to tell you, in this moment, I know, I knew, I, it, same situation, I'm almost brought to my knees. I have never had quite an impact throughout all this time in knowing that my brain does not process life in a way that brings me the results that I was searching for, that I was yearning for, that I was running for, that I was putting everything in line to get. And I was so far off track that a miracle happened to me eight years or so ago on the first day of abstinence. And the circumstances of the 50 years prior, all of that, all of those things, some folks have described that today, the life, horrible life events based on my own decisions, based on my circumstances, finally brought me to my knees to find that space within my mental illness my inability to process reason. There was a moment that there was clarity that brought me to my knees, that brought me here. It's just stunning to me, absolutely stunning. For me, it has been a slow process, painfully slow process. I am not the one that got the sudden white light experience. but I am absolutely filled with gratitude that I have all around me as a protection and a girder to keep my mind focused or otherwise it would not be where I'm at today. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Melanie. And this is Monica, and I'm going to jump in here for a moment. Uh, So this whole chapter that we have been reading here, we agnostics, 
we without knowledge whatever our circumstances are all of us on this line have come here and we're here for a reason and we all on some level we're missing something we're lacking some knowledge and this whole chapter has been showing us examples of of this and giving us trying to get us to change our mind to change our ideas to get us to realize that you know monica your way is not working look at the hell you've put yourself into are you willing to maybe try thinking something a little different to think outside the box a little bit you know because what i had been doing was definitely not giving me the results I was looking for and I needed to come to this total realization that my way was not working and am I willing to try something different am I willing to have a little shift in the way I'm thinking am I willing to embrace something I haven't before and that's the whole solution here that's the cornerstone when we're willing to believe in something greater than us, we can start our path to recovery by working the steps. And with that, I will pass, and we will now close. And I want to thank everyone who has shared. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And Sharon, can you read a vision for you, please? Star one to unmute, Sharon. Are you there? Monica, I can read that. Thank you. Please do, Melanie. Again, this is Melanie, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is a great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.